welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Uh, for those of you that don't know who I am, my name is uh, Jake Ainsworth, and I have been... <laughs> I've, I've been uh, that's kind of funny, actually. I thought it was going to be a long day of preaching because I had a guy come up to me before the first service, and he's like, hey, there's this new guy preaching. What do you know about him? I'm like, uh, he's good looking, I guess. That's all I got. That's all I got. Um, I've been coming to the church here for about four years, and I've been on staff here for getting close to a year now, and I'm very excited. Uh, Pastor Darren is on his study break, and he asked me to preach today, and I'm very excited about it because as we've been talking about growing up in the Lord and what that means, it's a, it's a subject that's very near and dear to my heart as I've actually experienced a lot of this firsthand in my life. So I'm excited to be able to share that with you this morning. But before we do, I want to dive right into Scripture. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. We do have a a cabinet in the back that has some Bibles. You're welcome to take that. If you don't have one at home, you can even take that home. That's fine. Otherwise, if you'd like, you can just follow along on the screens here. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for um, taking... Broken vessels like us and restoring us and making us new, Lord, for transforming us and letting us be used by you for your glory. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the past few weeks, we've been looking over a series called Growing Up. What what, what do we need to do to grow up as believers, to to mature? And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Matt talked about uh, choices that we have to make. Uh, And and that's... uh, Kind of like a pivotal choice where we get to choose to follow God or not to follow God. And then last week, Pastor Sam talked about daily habits that we need to do uh, in order to grow as believers. But it, it made me kind of ask the question, what does it look like to be transformed? What is it? Does it look like anything? And really, if you can't see transformation, is it actually happening? My answer to that is no. No, it's not. Because transformation... It's not just a biblical concept. It's a tangible work of Christ. Transformation is not just a biblical concept. It is a tangible work of Christ. To say it another way, transformation is not just some idea. It's actual, real change. It's something that changes in your life. And I'm so excited to be able to share with you this morning because I've, got to, I've been able to experience that change in my life. As I look back through my life, I realize that I'm not the same person that I was back then. And what I can see are some markers, some, some definite, defining moments in my life where I can point to and say, that's different. Something changed here. This is not the same as it used to be. So things change, and I want to share those with you. But first, let me give you a little bit of background about who I am, where I came from. So I came, I was born and raised into a Christian family. My father was a lay pastor, which means that he had another career, and he preached on the side. He preached during the weekends. Uh, We traveled all around doing that my whole childhood. And really, I have a pretty rich heritage of Christianity 
in my life. All of my uncles on my mom's side of the family are pastors or missionaries or evangelists. And, and then my, my father's dad, my grandpa, used to be an administrator at a Christian school. So I, I do have this, this heritage of Christianity. But the problem was is that the church that I grew up in, it really emphasized the rules of Christianity. And, and it stayed away from the relationship aspect of it. So it was all about the rules. And the rules they had, they were ridiculous. They didn't make any sense at all. Uh, and, and really, okay, so one of the rules, that, and I was actually told this personally, was that if I'm not wearing the best thing that I have in my closet, then I can't possibly worship God because I'm not giving him my best. I was told that. If you, had, if you were a guy and you had long hair, then you were either effeminate or a rebel. That's just who you were. And all these rules, and they were just ridiculous. They told us what, to, what we could say, what we couldn't say. They told us how to dress and, and what not to wear. They told us how to act in church. They told us how to act outside of church. They ruled every part of our lives. And really, for the love of all that is holy, please don't smile on a Sunday morning. You can't have that. This is the rules. This is what I grew up on. And the side effect of these rules was that I never grew deep in my relationship with Christ. I never established roots in my faith. So it's really, it's no surprise that I would be easy to wander from the faith. And, and that's exactly what I did. After high school, I tried to keep up the charade for a little bit longer. I went to Bible college for a couple of years. But I just really wasn't feeling it. I was ready for a change. So I met this girl who actually went to my church. And I was 21 at the time. She was younger than me. But we got married, and, and everybody told me it was a really bad idea, uh, including my parents. They said this is a horrible idea, and it turns out that for once, they were right. It was not a very good idea. And three months after we were married, she moved in with another guy. And at that point, in that point, Stephen Covey calls that a tipping point, and we've been calling them defining moments. That's a moment in life that I had a choice to make. And what I should have done is run to God. I should have anchored myself in him. I should have been there uh, going to God for emotional support. I should have gone to him for encouragement. I should have gone to him for restoration. But I didn't have a relationship with God. So instead, I went elsewhere. And more specifically, I went to drugs and alcohol. And I went about my life living day to day in a chemically induced stupor. And that's just where I was. Now, I'm not relaying this story to you so that you guys can applaud my life. Like, yay, all right, good change, buddy. Yeah, you're a good boy. That's not, that's not the point of all this. The point of all of this is that I am not now who I was then. And I can look back and I can see the changes as we go. The signposts in my life that says, this is different now. Something changed here. Transformation is not just an idea, not just a concept it's a real change. Something has to happen. Something has to change. So I would like to share with you three areas where I really noticed a lot of transformation in my life. Three areas where things were very, very different. The first one is in my relationships. A transformation happened in my relationships. Now, as I was going through my life, I was, I was always on drugs and alcohol. I was just kind of wandering. I was aimless. I had no direction. And my sister and her husband, they go to a great church uh, north of town, and they kept inviting me all the time, every single week, to go to a small group. Every single week, they would constantly invite me, and every single week, I turned them down. I didn't want to have anything to do with that. 
And, and it wasn't that I was worried about the drugs and alcohol. It really was about the divorce. Because you see, when you come from a church that's all about the rules, divorce is the cardinal sin. I mean, that, you don't come back from that. So I felt like I had divorce just tattooed across my head and any devote church, devoted churchgoer could spot me from a mile away. Start the judging at that point. So I didn't really want to go. I wanted nothing to do with that. But my sister was persistent, and in a moment of weakness, I caved in. I said, okay, I will go to your small group. And I didn't want to be there, but I had to keep my word, so I went. And I knocked on the door at the house where it was at, and the last thing that I expected to happen is what actually happened, which is I got a huge hug. And I'm not talking like some guy came up and, oh, hey, it's good to see you. I'm talking like the guy who answered the door is like this ex-football player, ex-bodybuilder, guy coming up with tree trunks of arms, and he just goes, hey, it's so good to see you. And I'm like, let me go. It was weird. It was awkward. But then we went into the living room, and I didn't want to go, but he had his arm around me, so I had to go wherever he went. And, and in the living room, what I saw in the living room was kind of crazy. It was just people scattered all around the living room. They weren't organized sitting at a table or, or anything like that. It wasn't a men's group. It wasn't a women's group. It wasn't a married couple's group. It was just people just hanging out, just sharing life together. That was very interesting. And the other thing I expected to happen was... Judgment. I thought for sure they were going to judge me. And that didn't happen either. Instead, for the first time in my life, what I experienced was true Christian love. For the first time ever. And it was amazing. They didn't care where I had been. They didn't care where I was right then. All they cared about was I was a person who needed the love of Christ. And they gave it to me. And one time wasn't enough. I had to keep going back. Once you get a taste of that, you want more and more. So I kept going back over and over and over again. And I learned something very powerful about my own spiritual life. I learned that I will never grow as much alone as I will with other believers. I will never grow as much alone as I will with other believers. God created us to be relational. He created the church to be relational. We look in Acts chapter 2, and Peter just preached this amazing sermon, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people are coming to know the Lord. And then you know what they did? They went to each other's houses and hung out. They fellowshiped together. That's what they did. They shared their lives together. We're meant to be relational. If we look in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, we see... That being relational with other believers can actually build up the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I started hating Christian relationships. I didn't want to have anything to do with them. I thought I was going to be judged. And now I cherish them. I love my relationships with my brothers and sisters in Christ because I can go to them. If I'm discouraged, if I'm down, I can go to them. And they build me up. They encourage me. But they also challenge me. They convict me. And through all of that, I grow. And then as I grow, we grow together. 
I will never grow as much alone as I will with other believers. But there's a second relationship that we can't exclude. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. The first two words of that verse say, From him, who's him? That's Christ. We can't leave Christ out of the equation. We can't exclude him. Because as we're called to be relational with other believers, we were created to be relational with God. That's where it started. How many, think about it. How many times in Scripture have you heard God called our Father? How many times have you heard the term adopted? Like we've been adopted into his family. God wants to be relational with us. He wants to have a relationship. But I wasn't there yet. Because growing up, I never learned about a relationship. To me, God was just this, this being that hovered around and expected me to fulfill the obligations of my, my religion. It wasn't a person that wanted a relationship. Craving a relationship. And really, I didn't hold up my end of the bargain. It was terrible in our relationship. If you think about it in human terms, just imagine with me, if you will, that you have a loved one who has to go away. Whether it's a deployment over to war or just work taking them away or just even a good friend that has to move away for a while. And it's sad because you love that person and that person loves you and and they're faithful to you. They write you every single day. And you get those letters, you love it. You open up those letters and you love hearing about how that person loves you, how they miss you, how they wish they were there to share your life with you. You love reading those letters, but you never write them back. And when you're feeling discouraged and sad and down, you pick up those letters and you feel better, but you never write them back. You've read those letters so many times that you even started memorizing part of them, but you never wrote them back. And then the time comes for that person to come back home and you're so excited and you go and give them a big hug and they kind of push you back. You go, I don't understand. I read every one of your letters. They, they helped me up when I was down and, and they, they encouraged me and, and it was so wonderful. I even memorized most of them and they look at you like you're a stranger because you never wrote them back. And as human beings, we look at that and we're like, that's pretty dumb. I mean, if we were in a relationship with somebody, we'd never let that happen. Never. Of course we would do our part and we would, we would uh, do, do our, uh, put forth that effort to write them back and to stay in contact and maintain that relationship while they were gone. But that's not what I was doing to God. I was doing the exact opposite. I would sit there and I'd read his love letter to me, the Bible, and I would learn all kinds of things. I'd even memorize part of it, but I never did anything back. I never prayed to him. I never built up that relationship. And there's not a sane person in the world that would say that a relationship could work when it's built on no communication and one person doing all of the taking and none of the giving. It doesn't work. But that's what I was doing to God. But God's faithful. God's faithful and he worked on me. He showed me about prayer. Taught me that I needed to do my part to build a relationship. It can't be one-sided. So I started praying. I started building that relationship with God. The first area of transformation in my life was in my relationships. The second area was in my worship. So as my relationship with Jesus Christ grew deeper and deeper, my worship of him grew more and more intense. Now I'm going to be very honest with you. When I first came to this church, you people freaked me out a little bit. (laughs) I was not ready for what I saw here. Not ready at all. So let me, let me, okay, here's what happened in my church. Sunday morning, it was right before the sermon, and the music minister would get up, and stand behind his podium like this. And the choir would be lined up behind him, sto- you know, like this, stoic and ready to go. 
And then with a, a lifting of his hands, everybody would stand up all at once. It was kind of magical. But don't be the last person because everyone will stare at you. So everyone stood up together at the same time, and we were ready. We turned to the designated uh, hymn that we were going to sing in our hymnal. And then he would raise his hands up as the piano started playing. And in his perfect baritone voice, he would lead us in a wonderful song. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. And he would never lose composure. He was perfect up there. Nobody moved a muscle. Now, I I love hymns. I was raised on hymns. and, And they really do hold some amazing spiritual truths. But the problem that I had was that I could sit there and sing those spiritual truths and never move a muscle. It didn't make any sense. And I think about it kind of like I think about um, sports. I love sports. Football is my favorite. I absolutely love football. I'm counting down to, to preseason. I'm counting down to training camp, man. I'm ready for it to get started. I'm a big-time Patriots fan, and it's like... We're in church, people. Don't judge me. I'm a Patriots fan. I get excited. And when the game gets ready to start, man, I'm ready to go. I'm like, all right, here we go. Let's go. Let's watch some football. We're ready. And, and I mean, really, through a course of a football game, I can experience every human emotion on the spectrum. I'm there. Like, when it gets started, I'm so excited. I'm like, all right, here we go. We're going to do this. We're going to win this with no problem. And then a few minutes into the game, my team does something to make the other team look foolish. And I'm laughing. I'm like, ah, losers. And then we go on a little bit further, and my team does something. I get mad, like, angry. I'm like, what are you doing, you you know better than that. And then at the end of the game, if we lose, I get depressed. <laughs> Watching a football game with me is exhausting. But I was giving all of that emotion, all of that energy to a football team that I've never met and that's never done anything for me. And it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense then how I could go to church and realizing that I'm nothing, that I deserve death, that I deserve hell. And then I can sing a song like Jesus paid it all, knowing that he took the penalty for my sin, and I don't move a muscle. I can sit there knowing where God has brought me from, what he has brought me through, and the fact that he has brought me from death to life. Yet I can sing a song like God be praised and not shed a tear. Something didn't add up. It didn't add up. And then I came to this church. I came to this church and things got a little crazy. I didn't know what to do. Drums were back here. Arms were up. People were like, yeah, God is good. I was freaking out a little bit. They were showing some emotion. And I was raised, emotion can't be in the picture. You can't make a decision based on emotion. It has to be made on the truth of the word of God, not on emotion. Emotions are deceitful. But, but, what God has done for me what he has saved me from, what he has allowed me to accomplish in this life. When he has brought me from death to life, I can tell you right now that God deserves worship that is passionate and emotional. He deserves that much. I have to tell you, I am not telling you how to worship. I know that worship is a hot button issue in the church. Not just this one, every church. I'm not telling you how to worship. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not going to show you the motions. But I cannot, I cannot think back on what God has done in my life, 
how he has rescued me, I cannot help myself but get excited. I cannot help myself but be passionate for God because of what he has done for me. And it's not just in music. It's every minute of every day. I'm excited because of what God has done. Second area of transformation in my life is in worship. The third area of transformation in my life was in my service. Now this area started changing because I kind of got a realization that what I said I believed and what I was doing, they didn't match up. They were, they were a little bit different. Something was just a little off in that area. I was growing my relationship with Christ. Things were going really, really well. And I was even learning to give Christ some stuff. He was getting my, my fears, my emotions, my worries, my anxieties. They were, they were all given up to God. But there was something in my life that I was holding on to that I was putting more faith in than I was in God. And that's in money. I was raised in a house where money is the be-all, end-all. We do everything we can for money. We sacrifice even to the point of sacrificing our families for money. Why? Because that's our future. That's security. We don't have that money. We have nothing in the future. That's how I was raised. That's hard to shake. And, and I would trust that money, and I wouldn't trust God. Well, that's not true. I trusted God to provide the money. I trusted God that he would provide the money that bills would be paid. But when the money didn't show up, neither did my faith. And I knew that that wasn't right. I knew that that wasn't right. I knew that I had to give everything over to God. And God was working on me. And I got to tell you, this was the hardest area of transformation I've ever experienced. It was difficult. I fought God every step of the way. I was not happy. But I knew. I knew I had to do it. So I made a decision. We're going to start with the Old Testament tithe, right? 10% of my income, we are going to give back to God. And I tried. And I failed. And I tried. And I failed. Tried and failed. And, and that pattern kept going. And God was always faithful to pick me up, brush off the dust, and all right, go try again. And he stuck with me to the point where now it's easy. It's easy. That paycheck comes in, tithe goes right out. Easy. Not a problem. Not a problem at all. And, and that's... The transformation in there didn't come from how much I'm giving. Because that hasn't changed, right? It's 10%. That's all it is. That's not where the transformation comes from. It comes from my attitude. And I know you guys might be thinking that, well, oh yeah, I thought you were talking about service. Why are you talking about giving? Because to me, they're the same. If you're serving God, you're giving to him. You're giving him your life. You're giving him your resources, your talents, and your money. If you're serving God, you're giving to him. That's what service is. But the biggest change came in my attitude towards service, my attitude towards giving. Because when we first started writing that tithe check, I got this look like I was going to get slapped. I went like, oh, oh that's going to hurt. Oh, how am I going to pay that bill? It doesn't feel like that anymore. It feels exciting. It's exciting to give. It's exciting to get, let God have a chance to give back to me. It's exciting to see what blessings he's going to do because I'm being faithful to him. That's exciting. That's exciting. And it's in every area of service. It's not just about money. Put it wherever you want. Maybe it hurts to give time. Maybe you don't have that much time to give. It hurts. It hurts when you give. It hurts when you serve. But God showed me something in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, if you'd like to turn there. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. But when Christ came as high priest 
the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of his cre- this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? What God showed me through this passage was we have been cleansed so that we can serve the living God. That's the point. We have been cleansed so that we can serve the living God. The writer of the Hebrews is giving us uh, two different pictures here. He's talking about in the Old Testament, the Israelites would take the blood of, of brand new newborn goats and calves, and that blood would ceremonially cleanse them. And then he compares that to Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God who came down from heaven. He endured humanity. All of the evil, all of the hatred, even to the point of dying, one of the most gruesome executions man has ever come up with. Why did he do all that? To cleanse us. Why? So that we can serve the living God. That's why. That's the point. That's the meaning of life. Because what else is there? What else is there? Is there money? I started working when I was 14 years old. So we just keep working, working, maybe save up, buy a house, get retirement, and then die. So that doesn't sound much like the meaning of life. What, what is it then? What is it? Family? Is family the meaning of life? You fall in love, you get married, you got kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, and then you die. Is that it? Is that what life's all about? Maybe it's knowledge, right? Maybe we come to church every single week and we we take diligent notes. We're writing in the, the margins of our Bible. We have our notes from like 1929. I mean, we're ready. We have it all memorized. We know what's going on. We've got all of this knowledge built up. And then we die. Is that what life is all about? Here's the deal, guys. I serve an eternal God who saved me for eternal purposes. I must be about the things that will last forever. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's where we're supposed to be. That's the purpose. That's the point. And I have to tell you that I do not want to be the person at the end of my life that goes up and meets my creator, looks at him face to face, and then have to explain to him why I felt it necessary to serve anything and everything other than him. I don't want to be that person. In my life, there has been many decisions that I've had to make. The most important one I've ever made was that I want to grow up. I want to be transformed. And transformation, guys, transformation is not Transformation is not just a biblical concept. Transformation is a tangible work of Christ. Transformation is not just an idea. It's a real thing that happens. I had to make the decision, if I'm not going to serve God, then I am going to be serving the world. That's the choice. There's no fence to ride on. There's no middle of the road. You're doing one or the other. And if I'm not serving God, then I'm serving the world. That's the tough pill to swallow, but that's the decision. That's where we're at. And I'm standing here today not as a transformed person. Because transformation isn't like that. It's a process. It's a lifelong process that goes throughout your life. In fact, if we look in 2 Corinthians 3.18, 
we see that transformation won't even be finished here on this earth. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Two key phrases in this verse. One, being transformed. That's active. That's continuous. I am continually being transformed. It does not say for those who have been transformed. We are in the process of transformation. And then the other key phrase is with ever-increasing glory. See, that's our roadmap. That's where we're supposed to go, from glory to glory to glory. Or if you want to think of it this way, to become more like Christ, and then more like Christ, and then more like Christ, and then more like Christ, until we are like Christ in the glory of heaven. That's the roadmap. That's where we're supposed to be going here on this earth. Transformation is a journey. But sadly, sadly, there are a lot of people that don't make that journey. When we first come to Christ, we're like spiritual infants. We're babies. And that's okay. Just like, just like real human babies, when they're born, they don't really know much. Right? They don't know much about the world. They don't know anything outside of their own experiences. And as spiritual babies, it's the same thing. When you first become a, a Christian, you're a spiritual baby. You don't know much about spiritual things, but you do know that your father loves you. And that's a great starting point. That's a great place to be. But that's not where you want to stay. Second Peter 2, 2 says this, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. We're meant to grow up. We're not meant to stay babies. We're meant to grow up. And the problem that a lot of us face is that we look at salvation as the ending point. But that's not the case. Salvation is not the end goal. Salvation is the beginning of a lifelong journey. Those who are saved, those who are baptized, that's not the culmination of everything. That's the first step in a lifelong journey. But there are people who choose not to take that journey, to stay spiritual babies. I have a good friend who they, they lost their baby uh, not too long ago. And, and no one in here would deny that that's a tragedy. And it forces us to ask questions. And we ask questions like, I wonder what he would have been like if he had just grown up. I wonder what kind of impact he could have had in the world if he'd just grown up. He could have changed the world. And so God put a question in my head, and I encourage you to ask you this. Ask yourselves this question as well. What impact can I have when I grow up? What impact can I have in the world if I would just grow up? It's a tragedy when... A believer leaves this world as a spiritual infant. It's a tragedy because that is a choice. It is a choice that is made. And it leaves us asking the question, what kind of an impact could this person have had if they would have just grown up? They could have changed the world. It's a choice. I'm going to ask everyone to please stand. Please stand together with me. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down to the front. Today, you have a choice, the same choice that I had. You have the choice on whether or not to stay a spiritual baby or to grow up, grow up in the Lord. Transformation is not just some idea. It's an actual physical change. So I encourage you right now, take a spiritual inventory. 
can you see those places in your life? Have you seen transformation? Have you seen growth in your Christian relationships? Have you seen your worship become more intense? Have you seen your need to serve grow ever stronger? You should be able to see some transformation in your life. So today I want to invite you to make that choice. Today, I want to invite you to say, I am no longer going to be a spiritual infant. Today, I want to grow up in the Lord. Today, I want to start my journey of transformation. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to come down and pray with one of us. Maybe you're sitting here, standing here tonight and you know somebody or have a family member who's never taken that step. They're making the choice to stay a spiritual infant. Or maybe they've never even come to know the Lord. And you want to come up and pray over them. That's okay. Let us pray with you. Let us come into agreement with you about that person and we'll pray together. And if you're in here tonight and you've never started that relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe you're the one who's stuck where I was. You're stuck in the rules or you're stuck in the drugs or the alcohol. You're stuck in depression. It doesn't matter what you're stuck in. Today can be a day of transformation for you. It don't have to stay there. So I encourage you, if you're in that place, come up and see us. Be brave. Take the first step of transformation today. Whatever you need, come forward. Let us pray for you. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.